Um, in this series that we are going through right now, we're talking about different areas that we can actually get stuck in. And one of the areas that we've talked about is being stuck in our past. So we looked at the Word of God on, okay, how do we find freedom from that? And then another area was how to get unstuck from living a life of discontentment, which we struggle with in this culture like crazy. So what did God's Word say on that? Well, we looked at that. But today, today we're going to talk, talk about finding ourselves stuck in the area of unbrokenness. Now, maybe the tragic part of this, this thing that can get us is that we can be in it and not even know it. But you know what would be a worse tragedy? To know that we are, bro are broken, but to refuse to admit it. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's back up. I'm told that, I've never tested this, but I'm told that if you were to drop a bumblebee into a drinking glass, you would actually trap him. It can see out the glass and it will buzz around on the bottom of the glass until it dies. It will never see the means of escape at the top and it will persist in trying to find some way out through the sides near the bottom. It will seek a way out where none exists, and it will completely destroy itself. And the reason? Because the bumblebee never looks up. Now, I don't know if this is true, but we're going to pretend like it is because it really starts the sermon out the way I want it to go. <laughs> we're called to live broken lives, but realizing or admitting our brokenness will never happen if we never look up at God through faith in his perfect goodness and wonder. Even in this mysterious majesty that encompasses the Father, and he's invisible and he's beyond anything that we could comprehend, what glimpses of him we do catch in faith reveal how utterly different he is from all of us. And that is exactly what the word holy means. God is holy. He's completely different than the human being. He's different in nature. He's different in strength. He's different in wisdom. He's different in justice. He's different in mercy. He's different in compassion. And not only is he different, he's infinitely better than the human being. In every way, he's immeasurably better than all of humanity. Now, me making that statement irritates some people because they've chosen not to believe in a supremely good being. Job did, but many people don't. And when we come up against things that we don't understand, like suffering and pain and death, some choose to take out their lack of understanding in those areas. They take it out on God, and they have anger toward him for him allowing it to ever happen in the first place. But God, God uses pain and suffering and death in writing this wild love story of every human being that he's ever created. The problem is, if I never look up and trust in belief, if I never look up in trust and belief in a good God writing a redemptive love story, 
then I'll never see the means of escape at the top. But I'll just persist in trying to find some way out in this life through the sides and the bottom. I'll keep seeking a way out where none exists until I just completely destroy myself. If I would take time and prioritize moments in life to look up, I'll begin to discover some really fascinating things about God. One thing is this. God is less interested in external behavior than he is in internal attitude. Than he is about internal attitude. And to say it another way, look at this next one. God is more interested in what is going on internally in our life than what is coming out of it. When I look up, I can learn things like this. It's this. It is not the gift, but the heart of the giver that matters to God. And nowhere are these truths more clearly seen than in David's Psalm 51, specifically verse 17. Look, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David realized this incredible quality of God right after he committed adultery with another man's wife, found out that he got her pregnant, and then had her husband killed to try to cover the whole thing up. David spent enough time looking up at God to discover that he was more drawn to David through his inner regret and brokenness than he was through his outward sin and disobedience. David looked up to enough to know that. Go back to your quotes. God is less interested in external behavior than he is about internal attitude. God is more interested in what is going on internally in our life than in what is coming out of it. Don't misunderstand God. God abhors sin. No sin can even dwell in his presence. But God loved David's broken heart equally over his sin. David's broken heart over his sin. And this word broken is quite the descriptive word in the Hebrew language. Literally being burst or shattered or smashed. And the word contrite is even more vivid, being crushed and literally crushed into powder. God did not shatter or crush David, no matter what you read or listen to other people that try to explain this story. No, David's own sinful behavior shattered and crushed him. And in David's deep remorse... God literally could not stay away from him. You see, David's sin broke David's heart. And this reveals a big part of the problem because we live in a world and culture that is not broken over its sin. Your TV and movies and books find our sinful behavior acceptable. It's comfortable. Oh, that's just normal. That's just what they do. And we are tempted to not grieve over our sin. And if anyone says, well, wait a second, that, that sinful behavior, a whole culture crashes down on them saying, hey, 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 that's judgmental. 
Hey, 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 you need to know that that's a lack of tolerance. You're not extending love. You're just spreading hate. And all we're saying is, wait, wait I'm, I'm not making any judgment. I'm just saying, wait, that, that's wrong. That's a wrong behavior defined by the one who made us. You see, a broken and contrite heart in our culture, it's not admired. Isn't it ironic that our culture despises a broken heart, but God doesn't? God despises worship from unbroken hearts, but a broken and contrite heart, God can't stay away. He finds it irresistible. Look at the screen. Jesus told a story to some people who were sure they were right with God and looked down on everyone else. He said to them, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you. I'm not like other people. Whew. Not like robbers or people who do other evil things or those who commit adultery or even like this tax collector. Fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector stood off by himself, couldn't even look up to heaven. He struck his chest in remorse and prayed, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you, the tax collector went home accepted by God, but the Pharisee didn't. All those who lift themselves up will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be lifted up. You know the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Nowhere could that be more true than with God. Realizing and admitting our brokenness brings in God's repairing work in our lives. A.W. Tozer kind of opens the door for our understanding. Look at this. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt himself deeply. I think it's important to note again that it is not God crushing us, but it's us becoming aware of our own sinfulness. Our deep remorse over our own sinfulness crushes our heart and spirit before a father who is indescribably good and kind. And when our sinful behavior is placed against the perfect dazzling backdrop of God's unconditional love for each of us, we can only, we can only be broken and contrite. Jesus has made so many unpredictable statements. I mean, that, that's the understatement in the universe, right? <laughs> but maybe one of the top in the list is when he said this. I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, wait a minute. The kingdom of God. That's the kingdom where God is in control and it's everlasting and it doesn't stop. So Jesus is saying these people, the society outcasts, the dregs of mankind, are entering before, in this case it was the religious leaders, are they entering, entering before others? What gives? Philip Yancey in his book, What Good is God? writes about being invited to speak at a conference on ministry to women who had struggled with prostitution. Can you imagine this? The audience filled with women who have struggled with that sin. So, Philip Yancey, 
at the conference said, did you know that Jesus referred to your specific profession? And he read them the verse I just read to you, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God first. So after he reads this verse, he says to this crowd of women, what do you think Jesus meant? Why did he single out prostitutes? And after several minutes of silence, one young woman from Eastern Europe spoke up in her broken English. I've got it down in quotes. This is what she said. Everyone, she has someone to look down on. Not us. We are at the low. Our families, they feel shame for us. No mother, nowhere, looks at her little girl and says, Honey, when you grow up, I want you to be a good prostitute. <laughs> Most places, we are breaking the law. Believe me, we know how people feel about us. People call us names, whore, slut, hooker, harlot. We feel it too. We are the bottom. And sometimes when you are at the low, you cry for help. So when Jesus comes, we respond. Maybe Jesus meant that. The whole category business of sin, that's man's thing, it isn't God's. Jesus categorized that to make a point. Y'all, we are all sinful. We are all full of sin. It's just that only some of us recognize it and admit it. And for those who do, look at me. For those of you who recognize and admit your sin, you're looking at me. God will never despise you. Never. In fact, he sees your brokenness as an act of worship. England was once ruled by a Danish king named Canute. King Canute grew tired of his court flattering him with extravagant praises of his greatness and power and invincibility. So you know what he did? He ordered his chair to be set down on the seashore where he commanded the waves not to come in and get him wet. But no matter how forcefully he ordered the tide not to come in, his orders were never obeyed. And one historian wrote that from then on, he never wore his crown but hung it on a statue of the crucified Christ. The Danish king understood his kingship to be a gift to Jesus. More importantly, he understood that his gift would only be acceptable if his heart was humble. Freedom from an unbroken life is found in standing before God as honestly as we know how, broken by our own sinfulness, with our hope found in his perfect love. Father, we regularly minimize our sin. And it makes us not feel the weight of our depravity. But when we see our sinfulness, 
we know that we only have you as our hope. You're our only hope. And we look up. Would you make us aware again today of how important it is to live broken lives before you? And change us. Change us inside out, Father. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name.